I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. Hi, this is Alex McClelland, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So thank you, Alex, for introducing another edition of the Tennis Podcast. And uh, she did so because she backed us in our Kickstarter of 2019. We managed to produce uh, 130 shows this year. We've loved every minute of it. Hard work, but we don't care. We've loved it, and, and we hope you've enjoyed it too. Judging by the response we've had to our launch of our latest crowdfunding kickstarter for 2020 we've certainly i guess done something right because the response we've had over the last week since we launched has just been incredible and if you'd like to introduce a show like alex you can do so by choosing that category in our kickstarter go down the show notes on your phone right now and you can you can back us on there uh, there's a link to the kickstarter campaign there's all sorts of other categories as well i'm afraid there are, are, are no more opportunities to to challenge us in our predictions in the uh, in the newsletter uh, for the grand slam because those have all gone three of the four grand slam mascots have gone uh, so we've got three wonderful pets uh, lined up and one for the year as well but there is one still space still available so if you want that you can you can get it um, so go and have a look and see if there's anything that takes you fancy but to all those that have already backed us uh, for 2020 thank you it, it's it means the world to us and uh, and we really appreciate it now we have another edition of the tennis podcast for you for today it follows tennis podcast live last week that we held at the queen's club and uh, we recorded this straight after we held tennis podcast live but just before we get underway with that we also wanted to tell you about a book that has been published by one of our listeners dave courteen in which he tells seven short stories personal accounts from his own experience in tennis particularly in putting on an itf pro series event on the future circuit in shrewsbury in england um it's an event i've attended last year last february i went along and uh, and saw this event close up i mean it was a fantastic experience for me because you know usually we're at the the, the grand slams I'm lucky enough to say um, and 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 much bigger events with huge budgets and the, the effort and that the people there put in to trying to stage this event to the best of their ability and really punching above the weight was was quite a sight you know there are people driving players around they're, they're putting on the events there are people looking after their, their their needs and just trying to make a really special experience and and Dave Cortine is somebody I've known for a long time and he he runs that event and and I've always found him a pretty inspirational bloke because he just wants to make a difference he wants to do something special he wants to be entrepreneurial and come up with ideas and ways to to create a great, great experience and he's written this book called more to gain than just the game and it tells seven short stories personal accounts from his own experience in putting this event on um, they're about people these stories uh, that he's come across the journeys they've gone on with the sport within the sport uh, people behind the scenes players of all ages uh, some of them are household names to you now some you'll have not heard of perhaps but tells their stories and and what they what they go through in trying to play this sport, administrators, unsung heroes, you name it. There's, there's all sorts of people covered in this sport, all with the common thread of tennis and the inspiration that it gives to them in their 
everyday lives. Dave says the book is one that he wanted to shine a light on how sport challenges and changes us, the way we think and feel, and how it contributes to our sense of worth and value in the place we find ourselves. I think it does that, um, and I think it says a lot that Judy Murray has written the forward to this book. Um, it's it's a it's a beautiful physical book as well it's got some stunning photography in it so if you fancy it if you think somebody you might know would like it for christmas you can get it from dave's website moretogain.co.uk or it's available on amazon again go down the show notes here on the tennis podcast and you'll you'll see a link there if you'd like to have a, a further look so right then here's the latest tennis podcast you join us in a quiet eerie queen's club inside the president's room where we have just conducted our second ever tennis podcast live and just about half an hour ago there were about 80 people inside this uh, big old room with its huge giant silver trophy that we give out to the winner of the fever tree championships every year there are christmas decorations up and there's nobody else around because it's nearly midnight, because that is what we do here on the Tennis <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> exactly. Catherine Widzicker's here. Hello, Catherine. Hello, David. Hello. Uh, Matt <laughs> Roberts is here. Hello, Matt. Hello. Genuine question. When was the last time we recorded a podcast that didn't go into midnight the, hours? The next day. Do you remember the good old days? It would have been a while. The old Putney Exchange days? <laughs> yeah. When we used to do them at 11 when in the morning. When the sun was out. Oh, yeah. those were the days. Uh, but anyway, anyway, we just had Tennis Podcast Live, and it was um, it was great, <laughs> I thought. What did you think? Yeah, it really was great. Yeah. it it um, it, We were all pretty tense and anxious beforehand, weren't we? Um, just wanted it to go well and it's a lot of people I mean I'm not a natural I don't tend to host things because of the anxiety that accompanies it fear that people won't show up fear that if they do show up they will somehow be disappointed <laughs> um, all of these things so it was pretty pretty intense thing to do um, and oh it's just overwhelming the response from the people in the room I mean three of them were my immediate family yeah so, but apart from that, also known um, as backup. Yeah, no, it was it was a really special evening. Yeah, yeah. I usually still feel a little bit nervous recording a podcast, but <laughs> compared to the state I was in about four or five hours ago, I'm feeling very relaxed right now because <laughs> that is over. But it was great. It was really nice to meet um, so many listeners who are all. So nice and such nice people seemed to enjoy the show. Yeah, and we, love tennis. We had to get um, Danny from the Queen's Club, who's been fantastically helpful all evening, as has everybody from the Queen's Club. We had to bless him. <laughs> he carted in a, an emergency um, speaker so that we could pipe some Bruce Springsteen into the room. <laughs> To calm, calm nerves. Matt's nerves. <laughs> he said, some darkness on the edge of town? <laughs> With like this wild look in his eyes. <laughs> okay, Matt, we'll get some Bruce. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, so basically, yeah, we get we get 80 people in the room. And uh, they were uh, a combination of people we know from personally, as Catherine says, there were some wonderful members of our family here. Uh, there were some colleagues from ours on the tennis tour. There were our highest Kickstarter backers, people who've entered the predictions competition and higher last year and, and given us such a lot of support and enabled us to produce what is 130 shows in 2019. And then lots of ticket holders who uh, applied to be in a ballast that we ran. And, uh, and yeah, so we had a full room. And what we did is we divided the evening up into two and we started with our awards for the year that we've uh, we've typically done every December and then the second half was a Q&A so we threw the floor open and uh, and got lots of questions in so what we thought we'd do with this podcast because it's well the middle of December and there's no tennis going on is we'd give you a little rundown of what went on uh, in our awards categories and we had eight award categories in total there were quite a few arguments about what was going to constitute an award category weren't there over the last few days most of which yeah, I stayed out of. narrowing it down to eight was, was really tricky. hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we started with a, with Player of the Year. A lot of thought went into that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought we shouldn't have Player of the Year. Why not? Because that it's, 
it's a redundant um it's a redundant title isn't it i mean these the the people we're going to discuss achieve what they achieved and it speaks for itself i think it's they're all players of the year in their own right there's no right answer there's no right or wrong player of the year i know there's probably no right or wrong for any of the category but i just think andrescu barty nadal they're all players of the year like normally i completely agree that it's a redundant category but i do think this year it's actually a more interesting debate than it often is because I, I i think the crux of the debate is do you value someone doing something for the first time in a way more than you value someone doing something for the umpteenth time in rafael nadal like nadal you know we can debate whether maybe he's had his greatest ever season but he's not exactly done anything this year that he hasn't done in the past he's just doing it older and I think that in itself is remarkable that he's still doing it. But with Andrescu and Barty, we actually saw something completely new from them. And I think that, to me, is an interesting debate. And I tend to pick people who do things for the first time. That feels like a bigger achievement to me, which is why I went for Ash Barty. But, you know, I, and Nadal ended up winning our category, so clearly people, I, uh, people I disagree. Th- I mean, I in general would agree with you but I think the thing about Nadal this year is that he wasn't just doing it for the umpteenth time he has been doing things for the umpteenth time but something about this year and how particularly when he clinched that year end number one how raw he was talking about that and talking about his year afterwards something about it didn't just feel like just another couple of slams and just another year end number one and then obviously the the Davis Cup title after that it really I get a bit of fatigue I think probably more than you two with the with the big three I'm ready for something new now but somehow this felt like something new for Nadal despite it none of it being anything he hasn't done countless times before Um, and for what it's worth I do think it was his greatest ever season Mm. at 33 and a half (laughs) I I think particularly when you consider where we were in April yeah when yeah I didn't I still can't I know we talked about this at the end of the O2 because of that interview he gave to to Prime I I still I was amazed by that interview I'd kind of heard people had told me that he had been at this low ebb in in April and he was considering pulling a cord on on his year and I just I thought I thought maybe maybe that's a headline from not much of a quote mm. but he was absolutely candid in that interview how clear it was that he was going through something in in April I'm not sure he's ever been through before mm. in terms of his questioning his own commitment to the sport I mean brought on by the injuries but I don't think I've ever heard him talk like that before. So is Nadal your player of the year? No. <laughs> but it, it um, I mean, there's that. And there's also the fact that we've just about salvaged Catherine slagging off our own tennis podcast live by saying our first category shouldn't have been in it. Um, <laughs> by making a good little chat about this. But I don't, I mean, I've argued for Nadal and I think there's as strong a case for Nadal as any. But I certainly wouldn't argue that neither Barty nor Andreescu are the players of 2019 because they are. Well, my, I think picking one is just futile. You got the hands up. The, we we did yeah. it by a show of hands. We, we both, we all three of us, gave our cases as to why we thought our individual players should be player of the year. I went for Andrescu because I'd never heard of her this year, this time last year, which doesn't reflect very well on me. But that's how much of an incredible rise she's had. Um, but Nadal got most of the hands in the room. I can't remember where Ash Barty came, second or third. <laughs> I think she, I think she came second. I think. Mm. So. I think it was third. Yeah, wasn't anyway. my most convincing argument. Third, of the but night. I think you got Pat Cash's vote. Oh yes. Oh, he was in the room, wasn't he? That was good. That was by default as Australian. <laughs> <laughs> second category was team stroke partnership, and this could have been a doubles team, a Fed Cup or Davis Cup team. It could be. Uh, coach and a player as a combination um, we went for in order Catherine went for Pierre Hugobert and Nick Lamou I went for the French Fed Cup team and Matt went for Lopez and Murray at Queen's 
And it was uh, a very, very long and emotional answer from Catherine that swung it. <laughs> the, the crowd, the assembled crowd were just open-mouthed Starry-eyed. and dewy-eyed at it all. Just like I'm open-mouthed and dewy-eyed at the sight of Pierre Rugebert and Nicolas Mahou these days. It's the greatest love story in tennis. But it's, it's still, you, you know, he jilted him. And yet... They've come back stronger. And yet they've come back stronger. How... It's the... It's... I'm just rehashing stuff on the podcast. Apologies to from the live show. Apologies to people that were there and have heard this material. But it's like a Nicholas Sparks novel. It's... It's... Okay, so they... They have a, a glorious partnership. Um, achieve new heights at the Australian Open complete the career Grand Slam and then one of them Pierre-Hugues Herbert decides that he needs to spread his wings and see the world and see the world with solo eyes and see what's out there for him so with a heavy heart he he spreads his wings and goes solo and uh, poor Nicolas Mou's left heart broke, broken he tries to see other people but it never feels quite the same um, Pierre Rugebert tries to see other people and definitely not the same yeah and Mahu, it's like Mahu sort of saw him on a date with Andy Murray and his heart broke a little bit and and then at some point around US Open time in my mind what happened is that Pierre Rugebert got down on his knees and cried and begged Nicolas Mahu for a second chance and said you know, it's not been the same without you. Right. Let's do this. It'll, yeah. it'll we'll be even better and stronger the second time round. Mm. I mean, I, I propositioned. I spoke for a minute, two minutes, maybe, talking about Marion Lopez. I voted for Mo and Ebert. <laughs> <laughs> they have to be the team of the year. Um, but but what I do think about Marion Lopez is, and it, it applies to. I think it applies to all great doubles teams, really. And I think we've seen it a lot this year of wanting to win for the other person as much as you want to win yourself. And that struck me so much with Marion Lopez this year because Murray kind of wanted to help Lopez get this incredible story of winning singles and doubles at at Queen's, which he did. And Lopez wanted to help Murray back on court without pain for the first time and they were just in harmony and those two those two stories trying to make them come true and and they did but you know it, in terms of team of the year that was a that was a one-off sort of punch of the most amazing emotion but Mo and Herbert did that scattered throughout the season by the end you just knew that Herbert was saying I'm making this up to you Nicola and mm. we are going to win Paris for the first time and we are going to win the ATP finals for the first time there was like a unstoppable force around them by the end of the season I never loved him like I love you <laughs> these are things that have definitely been said oh, between yeah. them yeah definitely. and in French so sounding even yeah, more romantic even more romantic yeah kicking Mladenovic didn't need any of this she just went to Australia took on the world number one the greatest player in the world and just duffed them all up and won the Fed Cup for France with her team for her team yeah one of whom she sort of hates yeah <laughs> it's beautiful <laughs> but yeah I mean that that was obviously a, such a strong team effort from France throughout the whole year. I think a lot of them played ties. But in the in the final, it did feel a bit like an individual pursuit for mm. Mladenovic. You know, she was the by far the MVP. Had they not had her, who else would have stepped up? Um, Most valuable player, British people. Yes. Yeah. That's an acceptable when, term, me, isn't you know, it? Clutch, I find that now MVP. I find MVP acceptable. Yeah, but only because you've been hanging around with him so <laughs> That's an American expression. It is increasingly being used on these shores. By whom? Matt Us. Roberts. <laughs> Apart from. Well, maybe I'll chuck it out there. I don't know. Right. Okay. Anyway, there's a clear winner, isn't there? Clear, clear winner. Yes. So Catherine two zero. They're going to tear it up next year. They're going to th- win everything. Third one was match of the year, and uh, the choices were from Catherine 
Samantha Halep against Taylor Townsend at the US Open in round two. From me, Alina Svitolina against Samantha Halep in Doha in the semi-finals. I think I got two votes. <laughs> yeah, this is a weak category for you. Oh, come I saw that match. The problem was I was the only one who saw it. It's like that Del Potro-Nadal match from Wimbledon last year when everyone was watching the football. Yeah. The greatest match that no one saw. This one, everyone was asleep. Andy Murray was stuck mm. in the commentary box. Mm. Yeah. Everyone did was asleep except me watching <laughs> it. Um, and then the third one was Stan Wawrinka against Stefano Tsitsipas at the French Open in round four. And that's the one that won by a landslide. Yeah. It, I mean, it was just high quality for five hours. And I think I said that at a time when tennis is rightly or wrongly I think wrongly, some people would think rightly, trying to curtail the length of tennis matches and change the format so that matches are shorter and, you know, quick fire. This was a classic five-hour epic that you could just bask in every single ebb and flow. And there was something that I just appreciated about that match because you had no idea who was going to win it. They kept splitting sets the most heavyweight tennis from both of them, from the back of the court. We think of Stan Wawrinka as this absolute, yeah, just heavyweight who has the biggest shots in the game. Well, Sitsipas was standing toe-to-toe with him for five hours. Um, Sitsipas had clay on his shirt from diving around that he didn't change. He didn't change his shirt yeah. for about two hours. <laughs> I love that. I just loved it. He called his dad a zombie during the middle of yeah, it. Yeah, there was quite a lot of aggro, wasn't there? He went into some kind of four or five month depression afterwards and yet Wawrinka seemed emboldened by it and you started thinking Wawrinka's back it just it had lasting implications that match I can imagine in years to come in Sitsipas's autobiography that I have a chapter I mean yes please to that for starters um that will have its own chapter that mm. match yeah he felt something then that he'd never felt before yeah. but he needed to feel it um and the way he went into his press conference just a shell of a man after that. It was empty. There was none of Sitsipas left. I don't know how he found himself again towards the end of the year, but he did. But, yeah, he looked like he needed a holiday <laughs> there and then in the middle of the season. He's, he's having one in Iceland at the moment. Yeah, who yeah. isn't? He's, <laughs> he is feeling, feeling the vibes from that pale green haze. Yes. And uh, he's tweeting a lot. Yeah, someone needs to take his phone away. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's not done that sort of. Um, he's not really doing the old Twitter detox very no. well at the moment, is he? Yeah, too much screen time, Steph. Is what mm. I would say. He did an emoji an emoji Q and A. Yeah, ask me anything, I will reply only via the medium of emojis. <laughs> okay, uh, disappointment of the year um, was. Fiercely contested. Catherine went for Kyrgios against Rublev at the US Open. Explain yourself. Yeah. I mean, I was prepared to lose this um, and did. Um, (laughs) It's the only one I won. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because Why did I go for Kyrgios and Rublev? Because I was reeled in again. I allowed myself to be reeled in and I'm I'm as much disappointed in myself as I am with Nick Kyrgios. Um, not because he lost it. Rublev's a great player. He was in a great run of form. Um, you know, like the Nadal match that Kyrgios played at, at Wimbledon, I wasn't I wasn't depressed or disappointed at Kyrgios losing that because that was the right Kyrgios that played it that day. That was the, the kind of Kyrgios that was exciting and makes you set your alarm to wake up in the middle of the night and watch him and... The Kyrgios that played Andre Rublev was the guy that shrunk under the pressure and shrunk in the spotlight. You know, for all the for all the bad things about Nick Kyrgios, and there are plenty that I won't get into now. There's one reliably there or has been one reliably good thing, and that's that you can trust him to be there and show up for a big match and a big occasion. And he failed to do that in spectacular fashion. And I felt really let down. But it wasn't a big match against a big name player, was it? It was a it was night session Arthur Ashe Stadium. But he was expected to win. Yeah. 
that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, it's no good. I mean, I also think Rublev was amazing. Yeah, he was. But, but it w- it wasn't about that. Yeah, he blew it. It was he? about the way it was. It was about he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle the pressure. Couldn't handle the moment. Wasn't able to be Nick Kyrgios. Um, and I found it found it really depressing actually hmm. that sight. Which is what led to Four Beers Law that night. <laughs> it's your fault, Nick. <laughs> so, Great pod. Anyway, Juan Martin Del Potro getting injured again was mine. Um, pretty self-explanatory, you know, ups and downs, and finally came back and, and reached the US Open final, then injured his knee badly again and is out for such a long period of time. I just found that really depressing. Mm. And then the posts he was making and, oh, dear. It was, a, it was a, just a downer. Um, it got me a point, though. <laughs> um, so the only one I got. Uh, <laughs> Matt went for... Victoria Kuzmova, in general. I, again, as with Catherine, I was prepared to lose this category. I was fully aware I was probably the only person in the room disappointed by her season. I set myself up for a fool, didn't I? Um, picked her to reach the quarters of the Australian Open... It was your bold, she didn't. cool. It was. Imagine how good you'd have looked. Yeah, pink, wasn't it? she would have made how good I would have looked, and how stupid I ended up looking. Um, all, all because of Victoria Kuzmova. You um, wanted to go for one of those sort of unfashionable, out of nowhere. Which I stand by the logic of that prediction. In that, Catherine Jorning. Up until the, I think it was up until the U- U.S. Open. That an unseeded woman had always reached the quarters of a of a slam in the last four or five years. So, you know, we make predictions, go with what normally happens. I had watched a bit of Auckland. There have been two young players in the semi-finals. I thought Victoria Kuzmova, she's the one. <laughs> Turns out it was Bianca Andreescu, <laughs> who was the other one in the Auckland semi-finals, and I did not pick her. Imagine if I'd picked Bianca Andreescu at the Australian Open. We'd have laughed it off at the time and then it would have been, oh my God. <laughs> but as it is, it's just Matt. What were you thinking? <laughs> I can't wait for Melvin now. <laughs> See, what's he coming up with next? Uh, anyway, she didn't get the point for you. Who is it? No, it, another disappointment. Yeah. So Victoria, you didn't even get him a point. I mean, Slovakian tennis player of the year. Yeah. Yeah, she, not to be taken lightly. Yeah. Maybe, maybe She's had all the awards she needs 20, or probably deserves. 2020 <laughs> might be the one. Yeah, could Why be. Not? Um, Let's see. U.S. Open semi-finalist this year in the doubles. In the doubles, yeah, yeah. Well, doubles is good. <laughs> <laughs> this Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, story of the year. Uh, that one went to Del Potro, by the way. Uh, disappointment of the year. Uh, not him, his injury. Uh, story of the year was between Andy Murray's comeback from hip resurfacing surgery, Catherine, the emergence of 15-year-old Coco Golf, that was mine, uh, Bianca Andrescu's rise from unknown quantity into Grand Slam champion was Matt. Yeah, but it's clearly Andy Murray. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. That, well, that, <laughs> that's what got the. See, I just thought it should have been in the next category, which is what I went for. But because Catherine made such a massively emotional, <laughs> long-winded job of selling the story to everybody in the assembled audience, by the end of it, you could hear a pin drop, and it then they, and then all these hands went up. It was emotional. It was emotional. Right in the fields, we were voting and and. Uh, yeah, so when we got to Did That Really Happen, which was the next category, and I went for Andy Murray winning a title in the same year as that Australian Open press conference, about four people put their hands up because <laughs> they're like, yeah, whatever, Dave, we've done this one. <laughs> uh, we've all just voted for him. We want something else now. I want something new, right? Um, so anyway, yeah, Catherine, you were moved by Andy Murray. But are we still on that category? Yeah. yeah. If, who wasn't moved? Yeah. If you were unmoved, then you need to check your pulse because it's the most moving, um, affecting, uplifting sporting story around this year or in 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 any recent year. I suppose I know you, I know they, those are big hyperbolous words, but I really I've not felt so many emotions. Um, f- moved in me from from one sports person um in a long time and uh yeah I was in that press conference in Australia this year and as somebody on it was one of our listeners apologies that I can't remember who it was said said very eloquently on Twitter I think around the time that Andy Murray won uh, the title in Antwerp a few weeks ago she said um that you appreciate you you enjoy something so much more if it's something you thought you'd never get to enjoy again. And I was in that press conference in Melbourne earlier this year in January, and I was sure that I would never see what we've ended up seeing from Andy Murray again. It was pretty harrowing, actually, um, to hear to hear somebody that had been at the peak of their powers somebody that sort of superhuman in so many ways um talk about having a major surgery in order to recover some quality of life i don't know how you could not be moved by that by that alone let alone the the second act of the story or maybe the third act depending on how you look at it um of his remarkable comeback the guy's basically got a metal hip um and the story, because of the protagonist, somehow manages to be completely jaw-dropping and yet also completely relatable. It's extraordinary and ordinary and superhuman and completely human all at once. And that's pretty special. Yeah, it is. Coco Goff was good, though. Yeah, well, came from nowhere, never heard of her. 15-year-old? Well, I had heard of her. But, I mean, it was a, the reason I went for her is because Andy Murray gone. <laughs> it's because, yeah. It was because uh, the way she just took over the media coverage for the days that she was having her run at Wimbledon. and We stood on that bench, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. People, um, people overlooking, following um, the lead of several Henman others Hill. standing on benches to just yeah. get the Even glimpse I of the had corner. That, was that the Halep match? No, the Herzog. The Herzog match, which she ended up winning. That was pretty pretty jaw-dropping. It ain't often I have to stand on a bench. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's what we're talking about It did galvanise people in a way that I, I really couldn't have predicted. I mean, I, mm. could, I could see why people were 
excited by the story and great, but uh, you, I don't think you could ever have pre- predicted the sort of this palpable frenzy about her. It was, I don't know, it was one of those very unique moments in time. And I still feel conflicted about it. Mm. It, in the, it still worries me on her behalf. I just, and I hope she can handle it. She's doing an amazing job at, at handling it. So long may that continue. And Bianca Andrescu's rise, well, yeah, I mean, it is a great story, but she's the player of the year. Well, I made the distinction because I think it was the story of the year because it will have such a lasting impact on tennis, I believe, the year that Andrescu's just had. Feels like she's changed the face of tennis for the next decade with what she's done this year. We didn't know about her a year ago. And now we do. And now it's difficult. You know, you can't look beyond Bianca Andreescu for winning titles. She has everything in her game. She has the attitude. You know, we were asked today by our, in, a, in our Q&A, who do you think will win the most Grand Slams of the next decade? And once we'd kind of got our head, heads around the question, I think we all said Bianca Andreescu. And I know there is a kind of, you know, recency bias and... and bit of a way frenzy when a young person does a big thing um but it is different with andrescu and look we could all turn out to be wrong but the the unanimity of people's feeling that this is it something the tennis world has shifted on its axis a bit with her i mean look back to tostapenko winning the french open mm. we were excited and we thought she'd do more than than she's turned out to do but it was nothing like this no and it nothing like ne- this never felt that sustainable with no. her. she had the you know she's got the weak second serve and she was what was it treeing to win the to win the tournament whereas Bianca Andreescu just seems to have everything in mm. her game where do you pick the holes I suppose question marks over her physical fitness are going to be we're going to have to monitor that going forward but in terms of pure tennis I don't remember seeing a player come along Check with both the attitude yeah. and the game that what, she combines. What was treeing again? What was treeing? It Just was playing out, your tree. playing out of your tree <laughs> to win a title. Okay, right. Right? Yep. Right. Okay, thanks for that. So, uh, did that really happen was next. And it was won by landslide by Rina Sabalenka's Instagram post during the US Open. <laughs> Which Catherine read out word for word. <laughs> was Reenacted. Hilarious, I have to say, including physical, uh, <laughs> physically demonstrating emojis. I won't do that splendid. again on this pod no. because I did do it at the time. Yes. Uh, I, I think it was uh, on the pod we did with Charlie mm. just after the US Open. Um, the so you can, if you really, if you really uh, want to hear that, but I will mention the addendum to the story, which is a recent development in the last week, which really is the icing on the cake of that truly bananas Instagram post, which is that Sabalenka has now announced her engagement on Instagram. She's done it in Russian, so we're relying a bit on translation. But apparently in her engagement announcement, she clarifies that it is not Dmitry Tursunov that she's engaged to. <laughs> <laughs> which is helpful just so romantic and she, and she won't and she won't reveal who it is she's engaged she won't reveal, to and, she also and she's largely against marriage she doesn't particularly believe in marriage <laughs> but good on you arena best of happiness to you and whoever it is between, that's not dimitri between Tursman. arena and stefan Sitsipas, we are just in a special time for a social media time. Fantastic. So anyway, Arena Sabalenka won by landslide. I went for Did That Really Happen? Andy Murray winning a title in the same year that Australian Open Pro Conference took place. And Matt, to large guffaws from the assembled audience, said Marketa Vondrusheva reaching the French Open final. That got a, la- a lot of laughter. I mean, am I the only one who has moments where they just stop and think, <laughs> oh my God, Marketa Vondrusheva reached the French Open final? Because that happens to me quite a lot. Um, <laughs> Might say more about you than... <laughs> maybe, maybe. I think, I think what's amazing about it is, exactly as you said, 
this evening. No, it's not. Nobody's even saying. I mean, I know we are right now, but no one's saying. Oh, what happened to Marketa von Drischer? Yeah, it's like she's vanished off the face of the earth. Yeah. Since since that happened, like she went out the first round of Wimbledon, and it wasn't a story. <laughs> it wasn't. It like, wasn't. I don't think when, when anyone these, was surprised. When do these moments happen when you find yourself thinking, whatever happened to... Could be doing anything. It's been a quiet be, it's been been a be quiet cereal. days, David. When he has his cereal. <laughs> Could be walking down the street, anything. Um, Brilliant. Oh. But, you know, I just think a young player getting... Tearing her way through a draw like she did. You know, she didn't drop a set to reach the final... And yet, no one's talking about it. It's the ultimate. Did that no really happen? No one's expecting her to do, you know, do anything next no. year, are they? Oh, and when I don't agree with you at all. Thing is, she's. I think she's I mean, such a good a player. Collective conversation. I mean, she's I mean, not in you, that conversation. You're absolutely right that nobody's talking about her. Yeah, I agree with you on that. But when I saw her play in Rome that time against Daria Kasatkina on the Pietrangeli court mm. and it was late at night it had been raining all day and they just stuck this match on at the end and I was I'd been I'd been thinking we're going to get sent home here so I was quite looking forward to going home because we've been waiting for hours and then they suddenly walked onto the court and I thought oh no you know this could be <laughs> about four, four spectators and suddenly everybody who'd been kicked off the centre court because the matches had finished there everybody came to the Pietrangeli court and just packed the place out and for some reason halfway through that match I think she was losing they suddenly took Marquette von Trusseva to their hearts <laughs> and they cheered her like it was Panetta winning the <laughs> French Open or something she's a great player yeah. no one's not and she absolutely could do great things next year but nobody's no one's saying, talking about hey, it. Hey, what should we be expecting from Marquesa von Drusheva next it's, year? But like, isn't, it's a bit weird though, isn't it? I mean, like, yeah. I, I feel as though it's because she's maybe unfashionable. Mm. And I think we don't know much about her. Yeah. We don't know her story yeah. in that. I think that's true. When um, I compared it to the absence f- that was Andrescu through Wimbledon and the French Open, you know, those tournaments came with a caveat. Andrescu's not here. But no one was putting that caveat on the US mm. Open or tournaments in the second half of the season when Von Drusseva was not about. And I just find it fascinating why. And I, perhaps that is, we don't know much about her, mm. even though she did reach the French Open final. But this is not in any way saying that she's a bad player or she won't do big things in the future. I think she will. It's just We'll just forget about them really quickly. <laughs> it's just how has this story not resonated, I find yeah. fascinating. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, so that's uh, that went to Irina Sabalenka. Uh, number seven was tennis shoots itself in the foot. And the categories were Hopman Cup, having its greatest year and then being removed from the calendar. Catherine went for that. Bonkers. Second was ATP ditching Chris Commode and failing to fully walk away from Justin Gilmore-Stubb. Bonkers. That was me. Uh, and then scheduling both women's semifinals at the French Open simultaneously was Matt's choice. Bonkers. And that one is the one that got... The votes. I think it was fairly close. It was a close one. Wasn't it? Yeah. It's close between your two, yeah. Which I think is right. Simultaneously at 11 o'clock in the morning, when the gates opened about half an hour before, so there was no time for anyone to get in, and on the two, you know, the second and third courts at the French Open, neither women's semi-final at the French Open was on the main court. And this... Perhaps goes some way to explaining. Perhaps goes some way to explaining yeah. why we forget about von Drusseva. She didn't have a moment really mm. at the French yeah, Open right by mm. even through reaching the final. She was denied that moment because it took place on a court. She never got to have a win on uh, Chatrier. On Chatrier, it, it's it was appalling that they put themselves in that situation with the scheduling of the men's semi-finals being split sessions. Um, that was the reason that they ended up in that situation with some rain. And I know there were myriad things to consider with scheduling and rain is, is makes things very difficult for the organisers. But it's it's always the women who get screwed over by it. And, you know, it happened with the not before start time for the Wimbledon women's final last year. It happened here at the French Open. And frankly, 
that is tennis shooting itself in the foot and it needs to do something about it I think that's very well said and uh, you won me over there with the, with your argument on that and I, I also feel like I can't remember I think it might have been you Catherine talking tonight uh, in front of the audience here about just what a a fantastic property that tennis has of having both genders playing it at the top level and being such a success story and and yet still sort of fighting itself over whether it wants that at times and I, other sports must look at tennis just as such a curiosity in that regard i mean chris clary said it in your interview with him last last sunday matt it's it's thanks to Billie Jean King and others, it's in tennis's DNA, the integration of men's and women's and the relative equality, I mean, relative to in other sports and the rest of the world, it's in the DNA of tennis. And yet we are, we're jettisoning it, we're denying it, we're tying ourselves in knots about it, whereas other sports are desperately trying to emulate that and make up for lost time and catch up and it's it's an extraordinary missing of an own goal it, it blows my mind yes a missing of an open goal open goal what did i it say it is an extraordinary really own goal late. and it is an extraordinary missing of an open goal yes, yes. that football what, what he said football metaphors yeah it is late, folks. <laughs> it's now 10 past 12. Right, last last category, everybody. Uh, the moment I watched on repeat. And the three, I mean, this went down a storm. All three categories got some. So we actually had the videos. Uh, yeah. And I think for the record, we, I think we all watched all of these on repeat. Yeah, yeah we, we did. Just, so, and well done, Sarah Wollen, for sorting out the videos, who was organising our night tonight, part of the tennis, tennis podcast team here. And uh, we found the, the audio and the video for Medvedev's US Open crowd aggro, and Catherine just <laughs> was all over it. She got in there before any of us could. You guys. <laughs> um, yeah, who didn't, what sort of maniac didn't love that? Everybody loved it. Everyone loved Pretty it. Pretty much, I think. Even the New Yorkers by the end of the week yeah. loved it. Oh, it's just so great. They just to... love to have somebody have to have a go at mm. who wasn't who wasn't like just running away. Someone embracing yeah. being the bad guy. I loved that. You know, I never I never got to enjoy the the Connors McEnroe Lendl era of of aggro and I'm ready for it. It's lovely that Federer and Adele love one another so much and good for them it's been nice the pillars of sportsmanship i appreciate that for what it is i value it i'm ready for aggro now i'm ready for some people that are don't get on yeah don't get on and don't want to hide you know like everyone knows that federer and Djokovic don't particularly get on but they'd never dream of showing it would they for goodness sake just get in some people's faces and you know some days you wake up and you don't want to pretend that everything's okay you want to go to be fair Djokovic's 2015 on. US Open didn't mind sort of letting everybody know come on relative to how Mind much you know, he could have let people mm, know that was him against the crowd there were more he could have I mean he, he would have been within his rights to have a full hissy fit yeah I'm Inst ready just, for some hissy fit just went and won the title in spite of them all um, but I know what you mean. I, I have enjoyed the Sitsipas, Medvedev, Zverev sort oh, of triangle mm. of irritation, mutual irritation and not letting it. And, and the, th the funny thing is, it's not Sitsipas who's doing any of that. He's just sort of saying whatever he thinks. Didn't um, he say bullshit Russian? Well, yeah, but that was to his face. Uh, and he, <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, but that wasn't like in the press conference, you know. That was, and so also, to his face is, well, no, that's that, less aggro, that's, is that's it? That's also Medvedev's account of what he said. And, and actually, actually, no, it was, it was Sitsipas who, who, remember that but long... But you can watch that match of Miami back and Sitsipas was, was giving it. Oh, yeah, no, he was. But what was really funny was that explanation in the press conference at the O2 when... Sitsipas just suddenly wanted to talk all about it and give mm. chapter and verse about what had happened. Yeah, see, 
this is what I'm here for. Yes. It, everybody not running away from it. It would be total deflection, happen. wouldn't yeah. it? From, yeah, you're right. From the, the old crop of let's all have a loving people. Yeah. Talking to those people, um, <laughs> they're, they're my choice for their pep talk to Zverev at the Labour Cup. Are you going to make us have to have an explicit tag so that this can't be downloaded in Dubai again? That, that's true. It can't be downloaded in Dubai when I swear or when Roger Federer swears. Um, so, uh, yes, it's when he followed Alexander Zverev off at once at all in the final rubber of the Labour Cup, which was manufactured to be very close at the end because they have the ascending... <laughs> Point scores. Okay, not manufactured, but oh, I mean, yeah. it, it, it's scoring wa- system. It's is... weighted in a way, isn't it? That it that it's very easy to to kind of keep the last day interesting, and uh, and yeah, you. I mean, it was a cool moment to watch <laughs> Nadal and Federer just charging after Zverev and shouting, "Not one negative face." And I want to really hasn't taken that on board, has he? I want to see. A, it should a, be the moment that Zverev is. He's I want to see watching a, on repeat. I want He's to see some a, negative faces. Yeah. I want to see an effing come on and let's go and fist bump every point. Not us. All that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that we had that. And I argued strongly for that. And uh, it got a bit of reaction. But it didn't get anything quite like Medvedev US Open aggro reaction. And Matt was any of Nadal's hilarious press conferences. Now, you might need to explain this, Matt, because does Nadal do hilarious press conferences? Well, I didn't think so before this year, but my mind has been open that Nadal is a hoot. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, one that we didn't actually put in the compilation video was um, in Rome, where he said... um, I'm going to do a really bad impression now, but he said, uh, what happened in Monte Carlo happened, what happened in Barcelona happened, what happened in in Madrid happened, and now here we are. (laughs) We're in Rome. Happened, 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 we're in Rome. It was just the best. (laughs) And that that, that kind of set him off. And then he was just just giving these viral hits. We go to next question because that is bullshit. Thank you very much. (laughs) And then if, if, Oh, no, you've got the explicit... (laughs) <laughs> we might as well make the boast of it now. <laughs> we got the tag now. Right. Uh, yeah, anything else? Well, he talks, Sorry. he doesn't like cheese. Talks. Told us he doesn't like cheese. He did tell us he doesn't like cheese. That's he said he didn't want to be fed to his boyfriend. Yeah. Well, these things happen. doesn't like meat that much. He's yeah. just been hilarious this year. And I, I said that I've always found the dolls... English, a little bit of a barrier to really trying to figure out who Nadal is. But this this year, it's felt like so much more of a bridge to actually his personality. Like he's just thought, okay, sod it. Maybe I don't speak as fluently as Djokovic and Federer, but I'm going to get my point across mm. in my slightly stunted English, really trying to get the words out. And he does he does a great job. I think he's nobody funny. has he got the point across about Nick Kyrgios better this year than Nadal saying, if, if, if. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. In relation to if he did this and if he did that, yeah. then he could be if somebody. If Nick Kyrgios had a different attitude and trained really hard, could he be, well, Nadal cut them off and said, if, if, if. Doesn't exist. False. Doesn't exist. False. <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, can we have an honourable mention for Andy Murray's shut up to Fabio Fanini yes which is the most useful gif in my arsenal <laughs> you've sent that to me about 12 times now <laughs> so that's we, we were together watching that weren't we yeah uh, in, the, uh, in a restaurant we, we probably turned the volume up to a unsociable unsociable yeah. level <laughs> I just love that that's you know a father of three out there just going shut, shut up, up. <laughs> <laughs> like a stroppy teenager Blended. it's amazing right yeah then so there are our awards maybe they've got the US Open crowd aggro Catherine won five points uh, from the assembled crowd Matt won two I won one so I've lost the uh, tennis podcast awards nominees competition however oh, I knew uh, I knew that segue was coming uh, I was awarded 
tonight by <laughs> my uh, colleagues here with the Tennis Podcast Predictions Champion 2019 official T-shirt. And it was lovely. And I also get a trophy. Who had the T-shirt made, David? <laughs> <laughs> I made it. <laughs> How many trophies did you make yourself, David? Two. <laughs> So <laughs> they haven't arrived yet, but they're engraved because they're being engraved. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the thing now. See, with his own name. Because today we launched our Kickstarter for 2020. It's our fourth one where we basically try to raise enough money so we can carry on doing the podcast bigger and better every year. Uh, we're planning to send uh, Catherine and Matt to Australia, uh, flights, accommodation, all that nonsense. And uh, yeah, we've got to keep it going all year long. So we've got to raise quite a lot of money um and yeah one of those things that we do every year is the predictions competition where you can take us on and uh, so if you want to do that next year you can there will be a t-shirt for the champion me there will be a trophy for the champion me um and if you want to do something about that bring it on come at the king yeah Uh, it'll be the same trophy but a different t-shirt as yes. we'll do a new T-shirt each year. You yeah. won't have to have David's recycled T-shirt. No, because this one says 2019 on. Oh. I'm the champion. But the trophy doesn't. No, the trophy's... I, I keep the trophy keep on my mantelpiece. Right, both okay. Of them. That yeah. sounds like not a cost-saving exercise. <laughs> I don't care. This you've, is you've worth You've bought it. yourself two non-recyclable trophies. Correct. And if if I which, win next year, I which get we a, haven't a, even been two. able to use for the purposes of tonight because they didn't arrive in time yeah, but, due I mean, to the engraving. The important bit is <laughs> who won them and where they're going to sit on my mantelpiece. Uh, I just need to build a mantelpiece. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, so well, there we are with the tennis podcast. <laughs> I'm slightly losing it at the end of our uh, tennis podcast live <laughs> episode. You're all right, David. <laughs> and not only have I made my own t-shirt and made my own trophy i'm now laughing at my own jokes (laughs) i laughed so hard um i turned off the recorder (laughs) by mistake so anyway i'm still laughing uh catherine take it away um any other business folks or shall i just oh we got a new interview coming up wrap this haven't we yeah, next week we'll, we'll, we we won't abandon you. We will be back. There might not be any tennis. That doesn't mean there's not tennis podcasts. Um, we're back next week with a Marcus Bagdatis interview that David has done, and yeah. he is he's great. He's awesome. He's open, very raw. He says yeah. whatever he, whatever he feels like. So we are not abandoning you for this festive season. Um, but this is our last show like this until the tennis season starts again in about four and a half minutes because that's how long the off-season lasts. Uh, we're running our Kickstarter. Please support us if you can. If you have already, then thank you. Um, we want to keep this thing going, yeah. don't we? Kickstarter.com. Search for Tennis Podcast 2020 or have a look down on your show notes that uh, Matt has organised. You know, just scroll down on your phone and then you can press click. Sign up to the newsletter. All the usual stuff. Um, For everyone that came to the Tennis Podcast Live tonight, thank you very much. It was our great pleasure to have you here. Thank you to the Queen's Club for having us. Thank you to Sarah Willand one last time. Yeah, what a marvellous room we got to to have this in tonight. Uh, uh, The President's Room in which we sit here at the Queen's Club, which is the most incredible venue. They hire it out and they let us have it. Um, You can have it too. You're going to have to pay, but we didn't. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) because they like us. Um, But (laughs) it's worth it though isn't it it's a cracking place and yeah. uh, so thank you very With much Christmas decorations too. I wasn't expecting yeah. that I've been in this room many times before it's where they have the Queen's draw and I was still completely awestruck when I walked in by the Christmas decorations it's lovely um, so it's been an absolute treat thank you thank you Matt thank you David um, let's all go and get some sleep but not before I thank Rio with a Y our mascot for the year um, tennisballs.com our executive producers The Telegraph of course uh, Simon Briggs couldn't make it tonight which spared us all from having to relive his post-coital cigarette of the US Open um, but he was Did missed. that really happen? <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh, 
and I'm sure he'll be back soon, as will we. Um, but we've been the Tennis Podcast, and we'll speak to you soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.